Welcome to Worship Call with Bible teacher Buzz Lawback. Buzz is the pastor of Grace Chapel Bible Ministries located in Duncan, South Carolina. This ministry is dedicated to the verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word and discipleship programs aimed at strengthening the faith of God's people. Now here's today's message. Repetition reinforces the subject further into one's thinking. These parables, while different, placed side by side, there is and what we can find as a common theme. Jesus, in this Passion Week, Jesus has limited time. So you can imagine that He was going to teach those things and 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 want to place upon the minds of those who He's teaching some most valuable uh, insights that they're going to have to hold on to in His absence. This is the fourth day of the week in God's created order. The 28th, 28th day of the second month, 2024th year of our Lord, and this is another fine day in the Lord. Let us pray. Father in Heaven, thank You for this opportunity once again to come together and fellowship in Your Word. We ask Heavenly Father for a blessing this morning to to understand these most important principles. We are living in a time when the Master is gone. He's on His journey. We must, as faithful servants, be ready for His return, knowing that there's going to be accountability for how we've handled His estate. So open our hearts this morning to the study of Your Word, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew 25.14 with me this morning. We begin, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. This man is apparently a well-to-do man. Uh, One that has slaves. He has property. He has an estate. He has an estate that these slaves are, that he is going to trust with them. They're in traveling when we travel, we go to. It's pretty. We can pretty much, apart from the providential hand of God and things that we may run into, we can pretty much judge when we're, what day we're going to leave, what day we're going to come back, and we can pretty much get it down to the hour by which we are going to return. We can tell somebody, "Hey, I'm leaving out next week." On Monday, I've got some work to do, and I'll be home Friday afternoon. I, I can even say I'll be home Friday afternoon at 3. I've got a phone call at 3.30, so you can expect me then. That wasn't so easy in the ancient world. There was many variables. So when this man, rich man, apparently, because he could be away from his estate, and it could still continue on without him, that's one of the measures of being rich, he can go and... He could say so. He might say to them, it, "Next spring or next fall, I'll be back sometime." I don't know if it's going to be in in the first month, uh, first month of the autumn, second, third month. It it may not. Things may hold up, and I. It may be a lot longer than that. I just don't know. His slaves don't know when he's going to come back. That's the message here. In the parable. 
we have other, this is the parallel, we have several parallels on this. And these parallel parables, all of them have the common, all of them have the common theme here, is that there is going to be a journey. Let me, let me do that. Ooh, there we go. And get, get myself right up there. So in these parables, the common, the common theme is the fact that the master's going away. The disciples understood. The disciples understood that he wasn't going to be around. That that he was going away. What the disciples did not understand was about his death. They knew he was going away, and they knew he was coming back, but they didn't know the means by which this. So here is the. He lay, he's laying out for them. This, the these parables and there's a number of them we've just seen the parable of the of the ten virgins and in that case there was the bridegroom and no one knew when the bridegroom was coming back there's also the parable of the vineyards that expresses the fact that there would be a leave of absence of the of the one who owned the land Matthew 21:33 Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. A journey meant an undisclosed time of absence. And the disciples understood this. Again, they understood that Jesus was going to leave them. But they understood he was going to return. Matthew twenty five fifteen. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability, and he went on the journey. This sets up stewardship. And stewardship is the care of that which does not belong to you, but it belongs to another. It belongs to your boss. It belongs to your your master. Great. This this leaves not just only a principle of how we are to be expecting the master, our Lord Jesus Christ, to return, but even in our own lives today, in our Christian lives, how we. And how we are to be stewards of those that th- those the things that do not belong to us, such as our the things that are entrusted to us by our employers, as far as our time, as far as the use of his property, as and all of these things reflect us in our Christian character. It also goes on to the. Well, I lost that thought, but we'll move on. So he entrusts us to these talents, and talents is a let me let me look at look at a few things on talents. So talents. Let's go to the Luanida on this. A talent, a talenton, a Greek monetary unit, also a a unit of weight, 
with a value which fluctuates depending upon a particular monetary system which prevailed at the particular period of time. A silver talent was worth approximately 6,000 denarii, with gold talents worth at least 30 times that much. Okay. For example, uh, uh, back up. Where do we go? What is important is a relative number of talents or sums of money. In a number of transactions, translations, the respective amounts are stated in terms of local currency. For example, in English one may speak of $5,000 as equivalent of five talents. Though in terms of buying power, five talents would be worth as much more $5,000, as much as $5,000. What is important, however, is the story is not the precise sums of money, but the relative amount which was given. So what, even the one talent that was given to the servant was a great amount of money. A great amount, and with a great amount of what was given is a great amount of responsibility that the servant had to take care of which belonged to the master. Five, and the uh, in another place, five talents. The Greek text indicates the amount equal to seventy-five years of wages. So even one talent, at least that was entrusted to the the third servant, was a considerable amount of money. There is personal accountability to what the master has entrusted in his servants. One did not slough around. There was a responsibility. Master is gone. So there is a responsibility to care for what belonged to the master. That's why they were there for. Listen. If and another thought and another school thought. If the master if there if it wasn't responsibility for the servants to take care of things, and if the master didn't need them, why the servants to begin with? The servant has a responsibility to care for what belonged to the master. He gave each according to his ability, his able to to handle that which did not belong to them. And another, and another way of understanding, now this is not, I cannot extrapolate from this from Scripture, from my own understanding, but I could see this, and I could understand this in terms of the five talents going to the Israel. the five talents the first to the first servant would be the Israelites. And they... The Israelites were shrewd business people. Hey, listen. It's as Charlie Cloth said. If, if Abraham could barter with God when he brought God down to, to preserving Sodom for ten, ten righteous in, the, in Sodom as he would preserve it. If he, could bar, if he could do that bartering and dealing, wheeling and dealing with God. His people must be shrewd, and they are shrewd business people. So I can see the five talents being Israel. 
I can see the two talents being the Gentile believers of that time, who's blessed by association through Israel. And then, of course, the one talent being the unbeliever. But that's just me. I can't back that up with Scripture. So that's just, it, it will remain as presupposition. And then there is the one, obviously, the unbeliever. You have the two, they're, fa- they're faithful servants. You have one, that's the unbeliever. The un- or we could call them, rather than unbeliever, let's call them unfaithful. The unfaithful one. I think that's a better terminology. The unfaithful one has his own, has his own agenda. And that is it. I guess we could boil that down. What's the difference between the faithful and the unfaithful? The faithful looks outside of themselves to the care and to the care, to the nurturing, to the stewardship of that which belongs to something outside of themselves. The unfaithful, they have their own agenda. They have their own plans. They do their own scheming. Everything for me, myself, and I. So the main point that is being presented is the faithfulness of the master slaves or the unfaithfulness of that one. Matthew 25.16 Immediately, the one who had received the talents went out and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But the one who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid it, hid the master's money. We kind of talked about this yesterday. What is this hiding thing all about? What is digging? What is putting the money in the hole? What is hiding it? The very foundation of our faithfulness and the faithfulness of these first two is knowing that one day that the Master is going to return with all confidence knowing He's coming regardless of who the Master is. They went about and did their duties. Was it because of love that they loved their Master? We don't know. Was it because that they were afraid of their Master? Had a fear of their master. We don't know that either. Is it because that they are going to receive a reward? We don't know that either. The only thing that we do know is that they realize that the master is going to return and there is going to be accountability. Thus, the assets that they were given, they recognized it belonged to the master. A faithful servant recognizes that he or she, everything that he has, as a slave, remember that James, John, Peter, or Paul, and Peter, they recognize themselves as slaves, slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. A slave doesn't have ownership. He doesn't have a right of ownership. Everything that he is, everything that belongs to him, doesn't belong to him, it belongs to the master. If you look in Exodus, even your family 
if a slave marries uh, marries while un, uh, while being a slave, and he's free, his family still belongs to the master. He can leave. He can. Hey, hey! I'm glad I have freedom. But his his wife and his kids don't go, don't go with them. They still belong to the master. So even your family, you have no assets as a slave. A slave recognizes a faithful slave recognizes everything belongs to the master. As Christians, this also applies. The recognition that all that we have belongs to our master. Being that none of us are independent agents. That includes our homes. It includes our bank accounts, our time, our bodies. Husbands with their wives recognize that their wives, that there's a stewardship. Ephesians 5.25, that there is a stewardship. That my wife belongs to the Lord. And how I treat her how I nurture her spiritual life. I'm the spiritual leader in my, in my family. I am her spiritual leader. I have stewardship over that which belongs to the Lord. As a pastor, my congregation is not my congregation. This is the bride of Christ and I have stewardship over the bride, that portion of the bride which belongs to the Lord. My money is not mine. I'm not one to hoard my money to the extent that I, I put money in the bank. I should be a proper steward of my money, but I also recognize my finances are not mine. I have a responsibility to the Lord because I am slave to the Lord. And when we all meet at, well, when we all stand before the Lord at the Bema, at the judgment seat of Christ, I think we're all going to have to give an account for what it was that we have been entrusted with. There will be a day when the Master will come and settle our accounts. The attitude of a faithful Master or faithful servant is recognizing that the Master is going to return. The characteristic and the attitude of an unfaithful servant is acting as though there's never a day that's going to be that he's going to have to give an account for what belonged to the master, what he did with it. First Corinthians two nine. But just as it's written, things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God prepared for him, for to us. God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things in the depths of God. 2 Timothy 4.8 In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love His appearing. When we think of the justice of God, we think it's not just cursing, but it's also blessing. That God is just on both sides of those scales. 
where the righteousness of God demands blessing, the just of God executes blessing. Where the righteousness of God demands cursing or judgment, then the just of God executes judgment. So there's, ju- there's cursing and there's blessing that comes from the justice of God. And again, on the day of accountability, on that day, I will call it the day of a reckoning. On that day of reckoning, we're going to either enjoy the blessing or endure the judgment. If I could say endure the judgment. Matthew twenty-five nineteen. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Going back, when we're looking at the... Going back to what we discussed yesterday with the bearing of the talent. What is this about? Going back to the unfaithfulness of the slave and his own agenda. It's about me, myself, my I, what belongs to me, what I want, what I tend to. What I, the things I put up for myself and my family. What have you. He took that, why did he bury it? First of all, anything that's investing. These are slaves and when they go out to the marketplace, when they're doing their investing, they're doing, they're investing in the name of their master. As soon as those investments are recorded, however they're recorded, then it's a public record that these things belong to the master. Same thing with putting it in the bank. That he could have put it in the bank to collect the interest. But once it goes into the bank, it goes into the bank under the name of the master. It becomes public record that this these assets belong to the estate of the master. By bearing it, no one knows. By bearing it, it doesn't. It, it's not earmarked to anything. So what the unfaithful slave was banking on was that the master would not return. If the master did not return, and that the finances were not earmarked to the uh, to go anywhere, guess what? He goes, he digs it up, it belongs to him. On the other hand, if the master does, for some reason or other, the master does return, he can dig it up and give it back to his master. All that he had received. Listen. A man like his master who was through, was such a man to have such an estate, he didn't get to where he was being dumb. So he would have this all figured out. This, this shows us the, the evil within the heart. And we're going, this is going to be revealed probably tomorrow. The evil within the, the servant's heart. The master's not fooled. The master knows the heart of the of his servant. He knows he knows exactly what he did. So the foolish, remember what we said, foolish, fool in the Bible means the moron. The moron, faithless, 
does not take an account personal accountability and banks on everything to go his own way remember it's his own agenda and this is such a miserable life for someone that goes through their life day by day you don't realize the happiness that stewardship brings to a person where when your life is nothing more than the gathering up of things and and going after your own see in that arrogance everything is is within let's just say I'm losing a word here isolated to your own self it's everything about me myself and I you impact nobody else's life you did nothing for no one else and you die you died naked. You go back to the grave with nothing to show for a life that should have been lived for others, including your master. Our lives as Christians are is not a life of going out to see how big a life we can live, how much we can gain, and our life is certainly as Christians to serve the master and when we serve the master the better we serve the master we the better we serve one another and there's great dividends that come back there's a great return on us when we serve the master it, there there is advantage to ourselves there's great gain to ourselves and there's the great blessing by association that is given to others when we serve the master i love the line that comes from the movie with uh, Cuba Goody Jr., uh, Life of the King. And at the beginning, where there is this line, take care of the king, it, uh, re- referring to a chess game. Take care of the king, and everything else will fall into place. And that's what we do. We take care of the king. We take care of what belongs to the master. We have a foolish slave that's banking on the master not returning home but the faithful has all assurance that he's going to return what's that tell us about first of all our Christian life we have we live as unto the Lord in the light of eternity Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for the convictions of things not seen. They don't know when their master's coming home. They don't know what's holding them up. He don't know. They don't know what he might be doing. And with the lapse of time, they don't know if he's ever coming back. But they're banking on the fact that he is. They know that one day he will return. They know that one day, regardless of time, that time is inconsequential. They're going to continue to be faithful servants and they're going to be rewarded. And again, the unfaithful one, he doubts whether his master comes back. I like going back to what... Let's, let's turn there. we got just a second here. Going back to... And I'll put Second Peter 3. Okay. We'll go to Second Peter ten. 
We're going to go Second Peter three ten. How's that? I'm have I'm having a senior moment just born. Several of them. Three ten. I think that's it. Yep, that's it. Know this first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following their own lust. And saying, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continued just the way it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintained this, it escapes their notice by the word of God. The heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Through which the world at that time was destroyed and being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire and kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Nonetheless, the mockers said that, hey, he's never coming back. Because of lapse of time, they're fooled, lured into a false sense of security because of the lapse of time. For us in the church age, it's been 2,000 years. And as I've noted, I think the weakness of the church of our day demonstrates its lack of faith that the Master is returning. They're changing the message from the from going out and making disciples to going out and building the kingdom. The building of a king the building of the kingdom or the establishment of the kingdom by the church is unbiblical. It's not in there. The great commission for the church is to go out and to make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So as a church as a whole, I believe it has its own accountability. Well, we'll stand before the Lord being judged for its unfaithfulness. But with that, we will close out in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity once again to come in together and fellowshipping in your word. I ask that you open up the eyes of our hearts if to look outside of ourselves to recognize inwardly to recognize ourselves as slaves stewards of everything that we have that everything that we have belongs to thee and we understand heavenly father that there is going to be accountability for all of us on what we how we handle that which belongs to you. That includes our families, that includes our children, that includes our wives and and uh, our husbands, what our children, our bank accounts, our jobs, everything belongs to thee. Let us live our lives with that attitude, knowing and being faithful to knowing that one day you're going to return, your son's going to return. And it's going to be that day that there's going to be a great accountability. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. It's another fine day in the Lord. Keep your armor on. Keep fighting good fight of faith. Lord's will and Spirit guide. We'll see you again in the morning. Joining us. You can hear this message again, as well as previous lessons, and get notes by visiting us online at www.gchapel.org.